Derek Reyes joins us. They are the founder of Queerly Health and a passionate advocate for equality in healthcare, especially for the LGBTQ community. I loved this conversation because Derek is so inspirational and it was basically therapy for an hour with me. It was really amazing and such a gift to me. I know it's going to be so inspiring for you as well. Let's get started. Thank you for joining us at Algo First today. I'm joined by the amazing Derek Reyes. They are going to tell us about what you're up to, Queerly Health. I love the mission and the vision you have. Can you kind of unpack how you're coming into healthcare? Sure. Hi, thanks for having me. My name is Derek Reyes and I use they, them pronouns and I, perfect. <laughs> Don't make me laugh, Jessica. Derek um, and I have had a good time already outside. So yeah. <laughs> so Queerly Health, we're a New York City-based digital health startup that's leveraging health tech to bridge the gap. I'm making a gesture where I'm folding my hands together. <laughs> we're bridging the gap between the LGBTQ plus community and safe, comprehensive, and culturally competent health and wellness providers. What does that look like? That looks like an online marketplace of vetted and trained providers, telehealth tools so you can do this from wherever, and concierge health to also uh, facilitate those transactions and make sure people get what they need. So it's kind of like you're helping people find the right mental health practitioner. Yeah. But with a specialty. Yeah, so we're focusing first on primary health and primary care and behavioral health. So those two areas are really important for the LGBTQ community right now. What ends up happening is we know as a community that the traditional healthcare system isn't really built for us. So as a population, we tend to avoid visiting healthcare settings or just delay it. And that produces LGBTQ-specific health disparities at the population level. So the idea with us is we're leveraging tech to circumvent all of those barriers to access that we have. And this came kind of out of your personal story. Yeah, exactly. Um, So I'm of the LGBTQ plus community, and I also studied LGBTQ health education and social services, and I just kept seeing over and over again how difficult it was for us to find the health and wellness providers that we need. Even me, knowing what I know and living in New York City, which is this bastion of LGBTQ health, it was still really difficult for me to find a new provider a few years ago. So I knew after grad school that tech could fix this problem, and it's since grown into such a huge project, what we're up to. But yeah, it was born out of my own personal struggle navigating this healthcare system and then watching other people struggle with it as well. So just for listeners, can you kind of expand on your unique story? I think it's so, um, like we were saying, very courageous and brave and what you're 
what you're standing up for, especially right now. I think it's already kind of scary to get mental health care. I think it's intimidating personally or even finding the right practitioner. I know I've been sick for a while and my gosh, like walking into a doctor's office over and over talking about stuff. It's, it's like, you really have to find the right one. Yeah. I mean, with something so vulnerable as mental health, right? You want to make sure that you're working with someone who is going to understand you. And for the LGBTQ plus community, it's really important that we have safe and affirming mental health providers. I've heard horror stories of people going to their therapist and saying, I think I might be gay. And their therapist saying, no, you just need more meds. And yeah, it really... Wow, that's terrible. Yeah, it really messes people up. And, and you know, in our community, we don't have as much access as the general population. And then the handful of us that do have that sort of access, these are the stories, you know, that I hear. This is what people are experiencing. So it's really important to me to make sure that within the, the especially the mental health space, that space is carved out for the LGBTQ community. And that means cisgender and heterosexual providers learning about the LGBTQ experience and being able to have LGBTQ plus clients. And that also means making sure that there are mental health care providers out there who are LGBTQ themselves. I've had great experiences with mental health providers before who are not of the LGBTQ community. But my current therapist, I made sure she was a Latina lesbian. So (laughs) it works for me. (laughs) So say that we are looking for a practitioner like a in any type of special field for me for example I, w- I was told that I was half white and half Indian growing up but I just recently found out that I'm not half white and that my grandparents um, adopted is like a loose term to use my mom from Morocco so I'm after actually half Moroccan and half Indian which has kind of made my whole worldview around race and culture and ethnicity kind of like I don't even know where to start when it comes to identity. So finding a, a woman of color was like it was hard, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually just got a ping this past week. Someone was looking for a therapist in a city here in the United States for a trans uh, young person, and also preferably someone of color. When we're looking for a provider, there's all these filters we want to apply to make sure that we 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 don't spend all of our time explaining and or justifying our lived experience to a provider but rather That's having such a so- good point. yeah but rather having someone that we know right away is of this experience and we don't really have to explain this that is such a good point yeah so yeah it's part of the reason why we're working in other tools into really health so uh, people can search providers based on gender um, and race slash ethnicity and specialty and all of this. I love what you just said about this person that reached out to you who is coming into their own identity. And, you know, especially with in this community, I think even myself, I'm sort of struggling right now just with race. So just coming into your own experience of the world, like, 
I, I, what I respect so much about you is that you are hundred percent yourself, no matter where you are. And I think I'm struggling with that. And I'm just, I would love to know how you have come into your identity. How do you live Mm. like authentic, authentic, Authentic. Can you help me with that authentically. word? Authentically. <laughs> How do you live authentically? Because you're from a Dominican family. Yeah. So I'm from the Washington Heights originally here in New York. And my parents are from the Dominican Republic. So I grew up in not just a Dominican household, but a Dominican neighborhood. So my Latinx identity has always been something that I've been very firm in. There's no real question about it. And it's also something that was handed down to me from my family, uh, my parents. And living in the culture and all of this, I really formulated that identity. Whereas with me being someone who's queer and gender non-binary, that's something that I had to almost... How do I say this? I... I had to allow myself the opportunity to come into these identities and really grant myself that grace to stop resisting it. Um, wow. Yeah, and I think, you know, I I don't want to say it was a ton of work to come into my being as I exist today, I, but it was a ton of work to continue to resist it. So once I just stopped so resisting. So that took, like, more effort. Yeah. Once I just stopped resisting, it was really easy to, like, throw on a T-shirt dress and go outside. I do um, like your T-shirt dresses. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Um, the first few times, you know, it, it's a little scary because violence against queer and trans people is very real. And this made me more visible or made my identity is more visible. So that was something that I was a little bit nervous about in the beginning. But now I I just rest easy knowing my ancestors, like my indigenous and black and queer and trans ancestors just have my back. So it sounds like that cultural component wasn't really an issue in your story in terms of like coming out, coming into your authenticity. Um. No, my family has been very supportive and uh, accepting. I think there's, I think there's, coming out is always just a continual process, and I really believe that mm, sexual. That's so wise. Yeah, it's almost like an ongoing process for any one of us. Exactly. Yes. Like even for you now with race and ethnicity, it's so like true. plot twist. <laughs> Such a plot yeah. twist. <laughs> but I, I think that's something that. Even though it hasn't been handed down to you, it's something that you can explore now and formulate that identity yourself through community. And I think for me, it was really, really important to formulate my identities around my queerness and and my gender expression through community. And that was a process because at first we, we can identify ourselves and begin to describe our experiences only when we have the language to do that, right? So I, as a kid, didn't know about gender non-binary and gender variance and queerness. I thought you had to be either a man or a woman and either you were straight, gay, or bi, and that was it. But we know now that gender and sexual orientation they both are fluid spectrums or fluid continuums and they 
can change throughout the lifespan. And they may just be as individual as the individual, and that's okay. So I choose umbrella terms like queer that can just mean whatever I want them to mean, whenever I want them to mean it, and non-binary as well, just to allow myself the freedom to express however I want. You are so in yourself. Like, you're so confident, (laughs) and I can really feel that. And it makes me wonder... Was was there like a catalyst moment where you're like, oh my gosh, I am living in my truth and I have not like arrived in the professional sense, but I have just like come into my own? Yeah, I think so. I turned 30 last year and... Welcome. Thank you. It's so much cooler on this side. It's like one of the themes when I turned 30 was just don't be anything that you're not. I love that. Yeah. So I me saying that I was a cis gender gay man or coming off as such or letting people I was I assumed I was when in reality I was a queer non-binary person I just didn't want to have to come out again and I didn't want to have to put myself in a position where um I would feel unsafe I I that's real yeah it's real and I just decided that it's just better for me to live in my truth than to walk in something that wasn't fully self-expressed. It's really important for me now to be fully self-expressed. It's where a lot of my creativity comes from. It's where a lot of my, if not all of my confidence comes from. I didn't even know what confidence was until over the summer. What is it? I Because I'm not sure... Yeah. Like when we when um we're talking about like you know that turning 30 you felt like yourself and that you you couldn't just put up this front anymore mm-hmm. in the process of having to come out again and all of that but yeah what is how, how do you even know like what is confidence? So for I think confidence can be whatever you define it to be and I I wasn't sure what it was. And I wasn't really able to identify it. And, like, if I wasn't able to identify it, how could I even know I possessed it? Yes. I thought exactly. It, yeah, I thought it was, like, Jennifer Lopez on the cover of Vogue, which may be true, but maybe not. And then over the summer, I was walking to my office, and a woman stopped me on the street, and she said, I love your confidence. And right? Yeah. yeah. It's just, like, uh, you, exude, you exude yourself. Yes. Yes, exactly. And... I I spent that whole week like really ruminating over confidence. Like, who is she? What is she? <laughs> who does she hope to be confidence? And I have come to the conclusion that confidence is a way of being. And it's something you it's a grace you grant yourself. It's not really something people can can give to you. They can see it in you, but they can't give it to you. It's something you give yourself. So it took a complete stranger to see it in me for me to be like, oh, I don't have to, like, search for this. I don't have to make myself confident. I already was just by being me and fully self-expressed. Um, like, I'm a, I'm tearing up a little bit. That is so <laughs> moving. Thank you. Yeah, I I want people to get that and I and I know that body image is something people really struggle with. I know self-confidence is something people For sure, yeah. struggle with, self-esteem. And I really 
want people to know that these are things you can just choose for yourself. Be confident. Like, find out what it is that you need to do within yourself to be confident and just do it. You don't need to ask permission to be confident. And you don't need anyone to grant you confidence except for yourself. I am just, you know, speaking from my own experience at the moment, just on the real world, I grew up in a house that was incredibly physically abusive, but also verbally abusive. Mm. And so every day that I came home, I was being told over and over, you know, you're worthless. You're never going to turn out to be anything. Mm. You're nothing but a bag of X, Y, Z. You know, you're ugly. And I would come home with like straight A's. I was like the overachiever and was just trying to prove myself Mm -hmm. that I was worthy of being loved. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it just, it, it never worked. It was never enough. And I think as an adult, I still struggle with feeling like I haven't achieved anything. So it's weird because when, um, when anytime I'm like speaking on a stage or say, for example, like people who reach out to you and are moved by your story or even Mm -hmm. getting stopped on the street, when people offer me like a compliment or a word of encouragement, it oddly feels bad. It feels almost like a trick. Yeah. Like you don't believe them. Like I feel bad that they're even offering me that they Mm -hmm. had to go through the work of Mm -hmm. offering me that like it's a burden for them. And then in my mind, I want to just think confidently, but it's like all this stuff. I'm just fighting my history so much. Yeah. How do you, what would you tell me what to do? Like for those of us who like, I mean, we, there's, I know so many friends. Um, and like I said, I get people who reach out to me and we're just like, we can't, I, I want to be able to just switch the switch to be confident and I feel annoyed with myself that I can't do it. Mm. Yeah, I think I think these are things that should be taught to us as we're kids growing up and then we won't have to de- deal with such habitual and crystallized disempowering contacts. Like there's so much stuff that I internalize about myself and my identities growing up. No one needs to internalize it, and they're not they're not real. All of those things you just mentioned that you were that you had people telling you it's none of it's real, like it really happened, but the actual subject matter, the concept that you're worthless and you're this and that it's not real. It's only real if you believe it, and Man, that is so true, yes, it's so hard, yeah, it's so I can already tell you have things around like worthlessness and not deserving and not belonging and this identity shift right now is Y'all, I'm starting to cry a little bit uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like no thank yeah. you I mean this is so I mean I want I want to learn from you I want mm-hmm. our listeners to learn from you you have so much wisdom in this and like give it to me yeah I mean like, yeah. tell me what well, thank you for being so vulnerable and for being the the vessel for people to hear this through, right? So I also had major, major feelings around worthlessness and really believed that I wasn't worth anything, I didn't deserve anything, and I felt a lot of shame um, for who I am, for who I was, for whatever it was going to be. But I think the truth is a lot of queer and trans people we don't get to make it to 30, a lot of us, or 25 or 20 or 15 or even 10 years old. So after I turned 30, it was like 
I'm already successful. I've already made it because I'm alive. Everything else is just extra. So, yeah, I had to really, a few years ago, deal with all of those feelings around shame and worthlessness and not belonging. And I basically just said it out loud until it just sounded so ridiculous. Like, I'm worthless and I'm shameful. And it's almost like as I said it, the words formed into bricks, fell into the ground, and then I just walked away from it. So really, you know, within yourself, Jessica, choose that all of those things you were indoctrinated into and told to believe about yourself, they're not real. And all of those layers of disempowering context just start peeling it back like an onion one by one. Address each one. Look back to the first time each one popped up into your life. Let yourself know, let your former little girl Jessica self know that that's not real. Grant yourself the grace to acknowledge that you were a child then. And it's really easy to just believe what adults, especially trusted adults, yeah, tell you. And grant yourself the forgiveness and the freedom to let it go. Forgive yourself for believing that and just let it go and create something new in its place. Talk to me about what it means to create something new because I think that is so valuable as well because I think it does create a void. Like I was talking with my therapist (laughs) recently Mm -hmm. and we were talking about, you know, if I was a parent of myself, would I speak to myself like I speak to myself? Mm -hmm. And she was like, you have to, you know, think about using more positive, encouraging and reinforcing language. And when she said that, I was like, um... Can you give me some examples? Because I honestly was like, I don't even wow. know the language. And I think for maybe someone out there listening or may have this experience, I know I do, like, it's almost like a foreign language. It's like I'm trying to speak Chinese. I don't even know what the symbols mean. And I don't mm-hmm. know how to say the words, like, what to put in that void. When I remove those bricks, what words do I put back in? You can start with, I am Beyonce and Beyonce is me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, And it really, it depends on you and what it is you're looking to create for yourself. Not just the life you're looking to create for yourself, but the person you're looking to create yourself to be. So if you are running this podcast, for example, then it's telling yourself, I'm perfectly capable of doing this in fact I am doing this and it's authentic and it's vulnerable and it's creation and it's love and it's working through things and talking about things that people often don't like to talk about and I think that you're creating a space for people to examine themselves and each other and that's like a big I'm not putting pressure on you, but that's a big responsibility. So starting with yourself and just letting yourself know you're creating this. So you maybe were always just meant to do this, meant to create this because you're doing it. I need to take notes. God, this is recorded. (laughs) This means so much. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, you chose to do this. So the power has always been in you to actually do it. And the power has always been in you to create and do whatever you want. 
including believe whatever it is you want for yourself. <clears throat> I need like a moment. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you said when we were talking offline about this issue of purpose mm-hmm. and just, oh my gosh, I'm like, <laughs> I need to like take a water break. We should do brunch <laughs> and just let it all out. <laughs> uh, okay. Just for listeners, I'm like seriously crying right now. <laughs> you talked about just walking into a boardroom wearing your shirt dress and mm-hmm. knowing that you are meant to be there and that this is your purpose yeah. not even questioning it mm-hmm. just owning that what does that actually feel like in your body how do you know like just deep down because i'm just thinking of like you know the trauma affects our bodies so mm-hmm. much and i get severe social anxiety mm-hmm. and even when i speak i feel like I'm, I'm, I mean, speaking scary enough, but I'm just, I question myself so much that it creates this inner turmoil. And it was so amazing hearing you talk about how you just know, not only just in your mind, but like in your body that you're supposed to be there. Mm. Yeah. It's something, you know, I, I still have that little voice in my head sometimes that says, maybe you're not supposed to be here or maybe you're not ready for this or maybe this isn't a good, et cetera, et cetera. I think the gag is for many of us that voice never really does go away. You, but you can now choose to acknowledge that it's there, but not have it drive your whole life. So sometimes I'm like, "Thank you for sharing," but I have all of these things. I am like on a mission here, <laughs> so I can't really listen to my own disempowering inner voice, which over the years has gotten tinier and tinier. I can only just continue going forward. So I think for me, sometimes I enter a room where I'm the only gender variant person there. And I know I belong there because I choose to be there. And sometimes I enter spaces and I'm not completely sure if it's a space for me or people like me. And then I walk in and I'm like, well, now it is because I'm here. So... (laughs) Um, Be Beyonce. Yes, exactly. So now I'm at that point where I'm all about making sure that other people like me have access as well. So when I walk into these spaces, I'm like, this is now a space for people of color and women and gender variant people and LGBTQ people because I'm here, occupying space here. I definitely, whenever I talk to people and I share my story and queerly health, I like feel it in my chest like feel i feel you know <laughs> you know the animated grinch movie how when his heart gets too big <laughs> that one scene like that and that's when i really feel it like psychosomatically in my body when i'm connecting one on one with people and they share with me their stories navigating the healthcare system in this country or one of their loved ones and then also when they share their stories of how they've created their organizations or their companies or just even a difficult situation that anyone has gone through. But I I talk a lot about disempowering context because I'm just like, call a monster by its name so that it doesn't have that power over you anymore. I think a lot of us human beings, we go through life with all of these unconscious, disempowering thoughts that we tell ourselves that, again, are just not real. 
And I think it was uh, a Carl Jung quote where he said, until you make the unconscious conscious, you'll go through life being dominated by your unconsciousness and you'll call it fate. And wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Like when you hear about people just self sabotaging what they're working on or themselves and them just being like, see, I knew it wasn't going to work out. And it's like, yeah, because you kept telling yourself <laughs> that it wouldn't work out. Or people telling themselves they don't deserve this or they don't deserve that and then they never get it. It's like, yeah, because you've always told yourself you're. You're never gonna get it. You never you you would never even see the opportunity to get it because you've always told yourself you weren't deserving of it. I'm just basically crying this entire episode. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us like a few phrases, like um, just like, some examples of what to say instead of the narratives that we've either been passed down or we've developed yeah. over time? So. I think for me, I always tell myself I belong. And I always tell myself I'm capable. Because one of my things is to, as someone who, when I was a little kid, I was like a straight-A student. I was very much admired for being smart and then having mental health issues as an adolescent for five years and my grades slipping. It was just like, oh, my God, am I capable of doing anything ever? So I've always had this this running, disempowering theme in the background where it's like, am I capable of doing this? And any derivative of that question, like, am I ready to do this? Or do I have enough this to do this? Or et cetera, et cetera. But I've gotten better at clocking myself for that because the gag is it doesn't matter and it's not real. You either do or you don't. Um, so it doesn't matter if I'm capable of doing something or not. I either do it or I don't. I may or may not be capable of walking out this door right now, but that doesn't have any determining factor And if right. I do or don't. Right. That's so interesting. I'm so glad you said that because now it's just coming back to me. I feel like I should also write this down. Mm-hmm. My therapist actually sends me notes after my sessions because mm-hmm. I think I'm so in the moment that I completely forget all the good mm-hmm. stuff she said. But to your point about can I open this door or not, she said something really similar, actually. She was like... You know, you have to reinforce the positive things. So even if it's like you got out of bed this morning and you made it to brush your teeth, because for me, like that can be really hard sometimes, just like making it out of bed. So she's like, so you have to say, like, I got out of bed and I did that. So I'm capable of Mm -hmm. doing that. I think what I hear you saying is sort of that over time, that habit grows and gets stronger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it does. I think for me, like, for example, like I talked about success and that's something that a lot of people, you know, we want success and we want we want to be able to say that we're successful. But for a lot of us, we don't even know what that means. And if you think it means like a big house and a nice car, I promise you it doesn't because those and the data is really clear on this. Actual physical materialistic things don't make people any more content in life. It does for, it may for a little while, but people get used to it, they plateau, and then they need more. 
So for me, it was literally like, I'm just glad I made it to 30 because I wasn't always sure I would get here. Um, So that to me, it was just like, I've already made it. I'm successful. And literally everything else is just extra. And when I get to 40, same thing. It's like, holy crap, I'm here. (laughs) Yeah, so celebrating. Like, I think sometimes we look at birthdays and I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. But I think after getting sick, but and to your point, like really changing our mindset. I mean, this is so good for me to just reminders and I hope it is for everyone listening, but yeah, like turning another year in spite of everything mm-hmm. is a massive victory. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think in this country right now, we, the LGBTQ community is constantly being attacked and disenfranchised by this administration. I mean, right now the Supreme court is debating if we should be fired from our jobs for being, LGBTQ and it's so really unbelievable yeah it's so bizarre like it's about to be 2020 in a few months and it's like we're still we're still here (laughs) we're still talking and debating these old and tired issues like of course LGBTQ people exist and we deserve the same equal civil rights as everybody else um why is that even a question and what that does I'm always really concerned about what that does for the mental health of LGBTQ people, especially yeah. LGBTQ youth who are so, so vulnerable. What, what that message says. Yeah, when your government is kind of like, well, maybe you don't matter. And wow. then how that trickles down into systems and into adults who now think, well, maybe LGBTQ people don't matter and LGBTQ youth aren't real and all these other things. And I'm just... I. There's always impact, right, and there's intent. And I don't know what the intentions are of the powers that be in this country when it comes to us, the LGBTQ community, but the impact is you're you're ruining our mental health and well-being. <laughs> and, wow. and that's something that has been supported by data before. So before marriage equality was passed throughout the country, the mental health of LGBTQ people in countries that had bans on same-sex marriage ended up having worse mental health outcomes than in states who didn't. The message that people are sending out, it's having an impact and as a community and also from allies, so people who aren't LGBTQ, we need to be having those conversations and reaching out to the LGBTQ people in our lives and being like, you matter, you belong And you totally deserve all of the things that you want and to be happy and content and fulfilled. For anyone who's listening, that would be my call to action is to reach out to the LGBTQ people. And have those conversations. Yeah, have those conversations. Even because we were talking offline about what does that mean to have that conversation when it feels uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Like I have some family members who are exploring who they are right now and. Mm -hmm. I'm a little nervous about how to have that conversation Mm -hmm. without being offensive and how do I have it in a respectful way that honors them. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes when it comes to identities and when people maybe have a difficult time navigating, talking about identities, I just say just replace it with 
one that resonates with you. So, for example, you now dealing with finding out about your actual biological heritage. Like, imagine if none of your family members talked to you about it <laughs> or brought it up. That is so true. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, they didn't. I found out and d- dug up the family secret. Yeah. So, in a sense, now that I'm bringing it up, I'm kind of confronting them. But I could. It's. It feels, yeah, I'm, I, yeah, I could see, it's, it sucks, it sucks. Yeah, I think that's something that people can say, though, like, if you're bringing up conversation around identity or something that, that necessarily doesn't resonate with you, but it does with somebody else, you can literally be like, well, first you could probably Google it, right, and just be like, what's the terminology that I can use, what does this mean, and then go up to someone and just be like, hey, I want to make sure that I'm supportive to you and you know that you can, we can talk about anything, including you being X, Y, Z. And I am learning more and I'm open to learning more, but also I want to be able to hold space for you. And, you know, please feel free to coach me on this. Please feel free to let me know what I can do, how I can leverage my access, power, and privilege to support you. Um, And I'm always here to listen I think if people approach conversations like that from those angles, we'll just have so, like, what would the world look like? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Wow. I'm, like, (laughs) processing. (laughs) What would you say to, like, your younger self? Oh. Hmm. Like, knowing what you know now about yourself and the world. It's funny because you know how sometimes you're waiting on the subway platform or something and you just have these idle thoughts? I think about my younger self probably often and I would love to just, whenever human beings, hopefully it'll be in our our lifetimes that we finally evolve into fourth dimensional beings and we could travel back in time, But I would love to just tell my younger self, you know, everything's going to be perfectly fine. In fact, it will be better than fine. And there'll be moments where you're not sure of that, but I promise you it's just going to get better. And you'll be here for it, and it'll be fantastic. And stay hydrated and wear sunscreen. So (laughs) That is all about that sunscreen. You guys will get to see a video of this, but... Derek's um, skincare game is legit. On fleek. It is. <laughs> I actually had a random thought. I don't remember where I was standing, but I'm so glad you brought that up because actually it was a word of encouragement for myself. And I just thought to myself, wow, we are resilient as fuck. Yeah. Like the fact that we're still here, mm-hmm. that is amazing. And my therapist, Zoe, wherever you are, thank you for saving my life. Um, mm-hmm. She said... You know, when you think about success, think about that girl, that young girl who was getting abused all the time. Mm-hmm. You're totally right. You know, mm-hmm. I survived. And, you know, we all survived. Those of you listening out there who have a similar background, who went through a hard time, you're still fucking here. And that's massive. Yeah, exactly. We're incredibly resilient, incredibly resourceful. And, you know, you and I, we're like our ancestors' wildest dreams. Wow. Yeah. I think back to... My grandmas and my grandpas often who just, uh, I wish they were here to see this. I I have one remaining grandparent. She has dementia, so 
Sometimes she doesn't know who I am, and sometimes she does. But what they were able to accomplish, and then what my parents built upon, and then what I get to build upon, we're an extension of so many powerful people. And really, everything had to happen exactly how it happened in order for us to be sitting at this table right now. And there's something, there's something healing about that, where it's like everything exists, maybe not for a reason, but because it just does. And we're here for it, <laughs> figuratively and literally. <laughs> I don't know what to say. This has been such a moving interview and conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much, Derek. Thank you for holding the space. No, I mean, thank you for holding the space. I'm the one that cried. <laughs> As we wrap up, I want to encourage people with the work you're doing. It is so vital to the community. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about what's up with Purely Health, how mm-hmm. we can get involved, how we can support you? You're supporting so many, including me sitting across the table. <laughs> it's like a virtual hug. Like, yeah, just all the things because I can't think of words right now. I'm too emotional. (laughs) Sure. So we're currently in an accelerator here in New York City and we're going to be launching our first three products over the next few months. So like starting next month and then into December and January on the provider side. So we're building up our provider base first. Can you explain Mm -hmm. for us what provider, what does that mean? What does that term mean? When I say health and wellness provider, it literally means anyone who falls under the purview of health and wellness. So it could be a doctor, it could be a nurse practitioner, it could be a therapist, a psychiatrist, in the future, hopefully even an acupuncturist and a dentist. Where Whatever people and services you might need to take care of yourself as an LGBTQ person. Thank you so much for the work you're doing. And it's www.queerlyhealth.com? Yes. We're going to be launching those products, and we're currently sticking our head out for Grant funding, possibly, or venture capital funding. Shout out to all the Grant Foundation people listening. (laughs) Um, We always need your support and help. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Derek. I would love to have you on again. Please, everyone, send us your thoughts, and we'll include all the links and whatnot in our show notes on our website. Thank you. Oh, my God. (laughs) That was so amazing. I'm Jessica Minhas, and thanks for joining us on Algo First. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our mission is to uplift and support you in your journey of healing. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, comment, and share. And if there's a topic you'd like us to dive deeper into or would like to share your story with us, we are available on all major platforms at Algo First and www.algofirst.com. We'll see you next time.